0: We've spent a lot of time exploring digital education and emerging tech tools after the remote learning revolution took us all by surprise last year. Many of these conversations center around how we can make learning more inclusive, more customizable, and more attainable for students who might be struggling with their mental health or their physical surroundings. We've explored online learning platforms that make it easier for students to learn. But still, these platforms are not a true substitution for reality. What? if we had the digital tools that created a truly immersive experience for students that allowed for connectivity and hands-on learning through things like virtual and augmented reality. Welcome to Graduating Anxiety, the podcast that gives you an inside look into the academic challenges that students struggling with anxiety face. I'm your host, Alex Merrill. Today I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Micah Shippey to the show. Micah is a middle school teacher, a technology trainer, an author, and a professor. He's also the founder and CEO of Ready Learner One, a transformative company leveraging emerging technologies like AR and VR to increase the effectiveness and efficiency of training offerings and make education more immersive. Welcome to the show, Micah.
1: Thank you for having me, Alex. Excited to be here.
0: Can you tell me a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do?
1: Uh, my name is Micah Shippey. I am a uh, middle school teacher with a couple decades of experience. Um, I'm the CEO of Ready Learner One. I'm a professor, as you said, and uh, a soccer coach for many years. Um, I'm a very busy guy with a patient wife and three beautiful children.
0: That's key, isn't it? <laughs> the patient part. <laughs> You know, you have this PhD in instructional design, development, and evaluation, and I did notice you did your dissertation on learning and the organizational innovation process. Mm-hmm. Could you just go into that a little bit and tell me about what you were studying there and what your sort of key findings were?
1: So the field of instructional design is what I like to phrase as, as a team of bridge builders. So we have content, and we have users, and then we have to connect the content to the users. So that requires us to know a little bit about the content, a lot about the users, and then what are the best tools available to bridge that gap? So emerging technologies offer that, but sometimes just good classic pedagogy offers a good bridge between content and user. My doctoral studies, my research focused on mobile learning, which was meant to provide uh, access to learning to people who didn't have a desktop computer or a laptop. Uh, specifically, I worked with a group, a non-for-profit that was trying to deliver content and coursework, to people who lived in East Africa. And they didn't have electricity, um, but they did have solar power. So through solar power, they could uh, charge up a smartphone. They could travel one mile to download content to that smartphone. My job was to help understand what's the best way to deliver content through this tool because that's how they were accessing it. So this was the bridge. So that informed my understanding of organizational adoption of innovation and how it's a multi-phase approach where an organization decides, you know, is this for us? Think about uh, public schools in Chicago took uh, over a hundred years to adopt the pencil as a tool. Should we do this was the first thing. And you get all the way to the point where now when you talk about learning, you don't talk about learning with a pencil. You just talk about learning and the pencil's inferred. That's amazing. A (laughs) hundred years. Wow. It's not just Chicago. Chicago's where the research came from, but it's across the country.
0: Why does education move so slowly?
1: Yeah, I couldn't tell you too much. I mean, there's some really fascinating research out of a book by uh, Cuban on technology and education. And one of the things I love is in the 1920s, parents were buying radios and giving them to school saying, this is new technology, kids need to have access to it. It had nothing to do with the programming was, they just brought the tool to the school. So societal Mm. pressures are important Mm -hmm. for us to be responsive to but we also have to recognize the value of content.
0: Yeah, you don't wanna just throw it in there just to throw it in there, absolutely. Tell me how you got to Ready Learner One, maybe from um, your work in Africa to, the, to to that point.
1: My dissertation, um, I repackaged if you will, into a book called Wanderlust EDU. And Wanderlust EDU is for educators to understand what it's like or why we adopt technology. Your why as an educator, why are you teaching? and then builds the case for why we keep iterating and evolving and adopting new technologies. Jesse Lubinsky and Christine Lyon Bailey, my other two co-founders for Ready Learner One, we were writing a book about augmented and virtual reality called Reality Bytes. And with Reality Bytes, we were exploring what are those tools that you could adopt? And in this case, augmented and virtual realities. And as we wrote the book, we started to recognize uh, a gap between teachers as users, and creators of hardware and software in augmented and virtual reality. And our company is kind of founded as a a bridge for the technologies uh, as well as the users.
0: Do you see virtual reality and augmented reality as more of a pencil or more of a radio?
1: Oh, that's a great question. Uh, Right now, um, I would say as a radio, which is, it works well with uh, educational structures. Um, however, we don't want to be short-sighted. You know, w- futurists are telling us things are changing. It's no no uh, coincidence that our company ha- shares a name that's similar to Ready Player One. And one thing that excited us about Ernest Klein's book is a school that was completely virtual where the students used the word we and talked about we went here and we went there. And that social dynamic to virtual learning is down the road, and it's what I'm excited about.
0: Mm, yes, I imagine that first pencil um, did not have all of the, uh, the trimmings to it, <laughs>
1: uh,
0: if you will. Yeah, but the, the, str-
1: the struggle is uh, what's neat, because think about a teacher for the first time ever about to give a get a pencil. They're worried about how are we gonna keep it sharp? What are they gonna do with it when I give it to them? And then how does this inform my teaching strategy? And you know, think of the sharpness as how do I keep it powered? What are they going to do with it when I give it to them? It's all related. It repeats itself.
0: Right. And I would and I would say this, too. I mean, you know, I, would, I was a teacher for, for 15 years. I think your sort of creative juice or whatever is a resource as a teacher, particularly now. I mean, teachers are so busy. They have more students, really, than they can handle in a lot of situations, private and public. It's a real challenge uh, to be able to dive into sort of new technologies. Uh, because of that sort of, sh- that that crunch on your creative juices. Mm-hmm. So I feel like teachers tend to fall back into routines and patterns and that sort of mm-hmm. thing as a, as a way of survival.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, the, the pandemic has seen a forced disruption in education and it's seen us try new things um, out of necessity, but is it gonna help us to to shift our paradigm? That's the big question. You know, the fallback if I get an emergency is to go make photocopies as a teacher. Um, should that be the fallback, or or should it be this is a teachable moment where children can see uh, uh, adults with agency and working through a problem and have access to that?
0: Right, right. I definitely see you as a mess as well, yeah, right? Sure. <laughs> as well as a put together product, yes, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, it's clear more than ever that a lot of students are struggling for connectivity and stimulation. I wonder if you think that. Uh, AR and VR uh, learning techniques help bridge those gaps?
1: Yeah, I think so. You know, with every new technology, there's a novelty factor. Like, here's the new thing, let's try it. And, you know, as a teacher, I'd be lying to you if I I said I didn't really take advantage of that. If I can talk about Among Us in a classroom and it loops kids in, let's do it. And then we bridge it to the content. So, initially, early, there's a novelty to say uh, this aha moment to get excited but then the depth comes from creative uses of the software and tools that exist. And, and that's our job is to show a more sustainable learning than just the, the novelty.
0: I'm curious about this, this sort of potential in terms of social, mm-hmm. the social element that's, that's really pretty lacking I'd say in a, in a Zoom environment. Mm-hmm. Do you think that that potential is there with uh, with AR and VR?
1: I do. I really do. Um, our company, we did a video podcast series in, last spring during the height of the pandemic where we held basically a conference once a week. Uh, we called it Ready Learner One Lounge. It's on YouTube, and we did it in alt space. So people hopped in from all over the world, and it felt like you were together. And that feeling is what presence is all about, and presence relates directly to motivational design of good instruction.
0: What do you think the potential is here for kids with, uh, that are, uh, have anxiety, either just kind of a low level worry or actually a clinical version of anxiety?
1: I really think it's twofold. Um, I've worked with educators um, that specialize in supporting students that have anxiety. One thing they shared with me is that if, if we can put a kid uh, in a place virtually before they visit their live, it helps prepare them. So in one particular instance, we had an educator who said, hey, we're going on a field trip next week down the road, but my student has a lot of anxiety about leaving the school building or their home. How can I prepare them? I said, well, let's check this out. We got on Google Earth, looked at a 360 video or photo of the space that they were about to go to. And this educator who's an expert felt that was perfect for the student. You know, that's one side of it is preparing. So there's no surprises. Uh, The second side of it is there can be less distractions having um, students in all their chairs in a classroom and the birds chirping outside and the fan coming on and pencils going off and music playing in the hall, that can be very, uh, very distracting for students uh, and cause some to be anxious.
0: I think anxiety itself is a lot of the time unnecessary fear about the unknown. Mm -hmm. Um, And as you say, um, using sort of VR to provide that predictability, Mm -hmm. I think is is also really exciting, I think, for, for, for kids who are struggling with that. And I think it's a huge population because mm-hmm. I think uh, the pandemic has just like exacerbated those conditions. Like, I agree. Could you maybe uh, dive into some of the specifics of how AR and VR can be used as uh, educational tools?
1: Yeah. So um, augmented reality is where we'll take a phone or a tablet that has a camera on it and we use the camera or device as a window. We can bring three-dimensional objects into a space. So if I wanted to put a cell on my desk, I could put a cell on my desk and dissect it, or I could put the solar system right here and, and click on it and look through it. And so what it does is it, in that case, it's keeping my presence in the real world. So augmented reality augments or adds to where you are. A lot of great tools. Uh, I love the Merge Cube. It's a uh, cube that you could say is like having QR codes on six sides that activates uh, assets in your hands. It's absolutely amazing, it makes these uh, tangible experiences. Uh, using Safari or Chrome on your mobile browser, you can Google animals and put them in your living room and look at them. So it's really cool, you know, it's really great for, again, adding to where you are. That's That's the power of augmented reality. And the accessibility of it through a phone or a tablet makes it even easier. With virtual reality, this is where we're talking about putting us someplace else, taking our brain, going someplace else. When I take my VR headsets off, I feel like, oh, I'm back. If that's the feeling, then it's working. If you don't feel like you've returned, then there's something wrong with the experience. And so with virtual reality, we're gonna go to a place that's been predetermined. Uh, The instructor may have set up a room, the room might have a lab, or we might have access to on-demand pulling in those 3D assets. So instead of using my phone to look at a tiger in my living room, uh, my instructor or I can rifle through a catalog of 3D assets and bring them into a room that we're together in, and we can talk about it. The, The transportation mentally that virtual reality provides, I think, is incredibly powerful, combined with the fact that others can be in the same room.
0: We were just speaking with Micah about how to use technology to fill gaps. As an educator, technology has always had the power to, I guess the word is immersive. I mean, I think it's a word that keeps on coming up over and over again with VR. But I mean, I think that's the most exciting part about it. it is because it's so engaging. Anyone who's dealt with a teenager before knows that they, uh, at least some of them, can sort of sink into a lower energy level. So I think uh, making something more energetic and interesting and exciting, at least 50% of the bottle, you know, for, for teachers and for instructors, man, it's exciting when you get in there. Just the limitless possibilities. There's no better way to sort of, boom, light up that candle that electrifying moment, that moment of electricity, is really the moment when learning happens, when they pay attention. They literally don't learn anything if you don't have their interest. You know, as a teacher, you'll be sort of taught to stand up, change the register of your voice, or stand up on a desk, because literally that's the only time they can learn new information is when you get their attention. by something unusual or different because that's what the brain is sort of programmed to uh, pay attention to why well, you got uh, plenty of opportunities to do that. I would say in virtual reality, that's why it's so exciting to me. I mean, I get a, I get a great sense of like how this could be used for science, for example. I mean, you talked about, you know, a cell and doing dissections. What do you think the potential is for a subject like English or writing?
1: Yeah, um, I've seen uh, a Shakespearean globe um, that you can enter and be be an actor in the globe. Um, When it comes to physically writing, I think there's a lot to be said for brainstorming, like small chunks of information. You can do a lot with voice typing. Some of the virtual reality softwares that are out there to actually type using a QWERTY keyboard is not great yet. I'm sure it will be. Um, But voice typing is pretty good. It's a great way to brain dump, brainstorm. Um, Different software has Post-its that you can put up on a virtual wall and walk around and uh, speak to um, um, ideas in that way. I think right now it's the brainstorming side of it's good, maybe the reflective side, but the actual curation of an essay, we got a little ways to go.
0: As an innovator and technology leader, what are the sort of gaps in the educational system today? technologically and uh, where do you think we need to improve?
1: Well, the gaps, I mean, I I think in terms of what the kids are able to do outside of the school walls are important. Kind of like old public school libraries, the old model uh, are meant to be access points. So if we want the learning to carry over and to have an impact in students' lives, you know, we need to think about access um, across the board. And so access to Um, Wi-Fi, access to equipment that that transcends, again, the four classroom walls. That's a big deal. Uh, Schools are getting better at adopting tools like Chromebooks. We're seeing more and more Chromebooks across at least North America, making up like 60% of the technology market for schools. Uh, It's a lot. But to go the next step and start looking at virtual reality, you know, we're waiting for the tools to uh, come down in cost, which they are. Um, And then we're waiting for these companies to also make decisions that recognize the importance for education. A lot of the early VR that's coming out on a larger scale for mass production uh, falls into the entertainment category. And then after that, if you want to talk about training and learning, it goes into the corporate training and learning category. But then when we get into schools, we are concerned about FERPA and COPA compliance. And in the classroom, we have to um, be cautious about digital privacy And sometimes these companies are not as attentive to that. Like Oculus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they all have, Oculus is just one of them, but they all, even the products inside of that um, don't necessarily follow FERPA and COPA compliance. So it just means that we have to be really diligent to be uh, speaking to parents in a transparent manner, uh, getting permission from parents and guardians uh, regarding the tools that we're using and the software that we're using.
0: What could you say to, uh, you know, maybe parents who have very little experience of this or very, very little um, knowledge of um, what these devices are like? Are they safe? Uh, is this some, something that you could uh, have your kid do for four hours at a time?
1: I, I think a comparison would be, you know, think about YouTube. You know, what do we do with YouTube? Do we just put our kids on YouTube and then that's it? If we walk away and whatever they see, they see. It, it's the same kind of thing. It's a little uncomfortable for parents and educators because when they're in VR, you can't easily see right away what they're doing. Now there are mirroring technologies that let you mirror what's on the device to a TV or to a smartphone. And, and that's what I would encourage parents to do. There's there's privacy settings and parental settings that can be engaged, but there's some places that, that kids can go and they can be mean and they can be cruel and they can also hang out and have a great time with their friends. I guess for parents, uh, educating yourself on what the tool is, playing with your kids, trying things out with your kids, I think is a really great way to help them understand expectations and, and help you to be comfortable as a parent.
0: Are there safety concerns? I mean, do they? Is it? Does it give you seizures or? You know?
1: Yeah. So, so the American Pediatric Association has gone back and forth a little bit about screen time and screen time on VR, actually. It's a, it seems to be a little bit of the Wild West. We're not quite sure. Um, I'm somebody who gets, I get motion sickness at the drop of a hat. So when I go in VR, yeah, some <laughs> VR applications are fantastic and I'm great. But if I get in other VR applications, if there's things moving that I'm not controlling, I, I may get nauseous. Again, as someone who gets it at the drop of a hat, um, I still engage in VR more than most. I'm still regularly involved in VR. And it just depends on the experience. Some of them are perfectly fine.
0: One of the first things I did was go on a roller coaster, <laughs> um, a Jurassic Park roller coaster, and uh, I could I could not make the whole ride because it, it was wild, man. But
1: I had about I had about a hundred students do the Anne Frank experience. So the Anne Frank mm. House experience mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. so powerful. Mm-hmm. Takes the the story and just brings it to life. There's a young actress, narrator, who of course makes you think she's Anne Frank. It is emotionally powerful. Did it with a hundred students, and I only had two complain, uh, these are middle school students, complain that that they felt a little uneasy. So I had them stand mm-hmm. up, that's mm-hmm. all. That was with um, Oculus Go's. And an Oculus Go has three degrees of freedom, which is up, down, left, right. It's not actually moving and walking like you get in a Quest, which has six degrees of freedom. Think about Google Cardboard, where you put you yeah. put your phone All inside right. of a device, it makes it two lenses and you just look around. So there you're look at looking up and looking down, sitting still, moving. If you stand up and walk across the room, it doesn't make any difference. So you're looking at a, a very two di- or three dimensional screen, um, but your degrees of freedom is just simply looking around. Six degrees of freedom, This is where there are sensors measuring your movement. So you're walking forward, you're walking back, you're dipping, you're diving, you're jumping. It knows what you're doing based on where your head is at. Uh, And of course your your devices that you're using to navigate.
0: I would say that there are certainly some things in traditional education that really need to be cut out um, and rethought just in terms of pedagogy. What springs to mind, particularly for me, is rote memorization. I mean, there is definitely an old school sort of faction of teachers who think that, well, you need knowledge, like you need that information before you can do anything with it. With the internet being what it is, with technology and the ability to access that information of uh, developing so rapidly, at some time in the future, we'll be able to think something. And and that thought will trigger that information, like pulling it up from somewhere remotely. In that world, you're really going to need memorization. You're really going to need to remember a bunch of dates from history. It's an uncomfortable thought, I think, for a lot of old school folks. And I'm one of them. I mean, I was, I had to memorize facts too when I was a kid and growing up, I sort of have a foot in both worlds. But I think it's uncomfortable for that For people from that old world to say, don't worry about memorizing that. Um, We're just going to deal with application. We're just going to deal with creating. Once you do have that information, that's a real shift for the entire educational world to go through. And it hasn't. Uh, We're still kind of stuck back in that past of memorization. So, I mean, if the biggest obstacles really are to making this, to taking that next step mm-hmm. from two dimensions, where we are and sort of the old system and what I think is going to be obsolete. The obstacle is design. Mm-hmm. Is that an accurate way to put it? Or
1: Yeah, user experience, I guess. Um, user experience is, is evolving. They call it UX. You know, it's evolving. We're using voice typing right now, we could do post-its and chunks of unformatted information. The way AI works, it learns from people voice typing. The more people on the planet that voice type, the stronger that AI gets and it starts to understand where to put the punctuation, where to put the period in the new paragraph. The ability to to get our creative thoughts out into an academically accessible acceptable format, like a paper, is becoming easier and easier to do in virtual reality. It's just a little farther to go, but we're getting close. The other side of it is the paddles that we use when we go into VR. Uh, Hand tracking, hand tracking is the next big thing where you just use your hands naturally, uh, maybe with haptic gloves. In virtual reality, if I pick up a virtual apple, I feel it with my hand, with my glove. So the glove actually has mechanics in it that cause me to feel. So I feel the apple and I throw it and then I feel the void of the apple no longer being there. That's haptics. That's- Or I, I play paintball and I wear a jacket and I get hit and I feel it. That's a haptic.
0: Think about that. I I mean, that's a big sense. Mm -hmm. When you've already got sight, you're in that other world. Mm -hmm. Everything's three-dimensional. Everything's like it would be in the normal world. The sound is Mm three-dimensional. Okay, if you're adding feeling then too, I mean, that's basically all your senses. Like, you know, what do you have left? Smell, Uh, I suppose. But I I think if that, as that haptic stuff catches up, I mean, that might be like kind of the final block.
1: Yeah, it, it exists now. It's there. If, if you lump in multi-directional treadmills, then you've got the whole experience because treadmills, you know, you, you want to be able to change directions when you're running. And, you know, everyone's living room is not the size of a football field. So being able to stand in one place right. and move, you know, that's a form. You could argue that's a form of haptics. Um,
0: How far away do you, th- do you think that stuff is from being usable to a degree that you would want to leave basically reality behind <laughs> if that if that question makes sense.
1: Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, there's in the 1960s, there was a law uh, produced around the semiconductors called Moore's Law. And Moore's Law basically said every 18 months, it's going to be cut in cost by half, and it's going to be double the speed. And so while that was developed for semiconductors, that's true for technology. Um, and it's it proves itself over and over and over again. So if you think about it that way, you know these technologies that exist five years ago, if you use that that algorithm, it would have cost four grand. Now it's three hundred bucks. Virtual reality has has struggled to make a foothold. You know it's been around since the fifties and sixties with some of the uh, pilots that have been trained, uh, uh, airplane simulation, military technology, augmented reality as well. They've been around for a while, but they've struggled to to maintain a foothold uh, in the average user market. Not many, not many more people are going to adopt it because not everyone's a geek like you and me, and they're going to dive in and try it. It's got to be very usable. It's got to be uh, relatable to my existing experience. It might be able to be more powerful, but you know what? We might not be ready for that power yet. We might need it to be simple and use easier than my television to turn on.
0: And curious, I mean, I guess just to get this out there for my listeners, uh, if you were to bring this to a sort of tutoring. Format. What do, what do you think that might look like for, for a student?
1: Yeah, I, I think in a, a tutoring world, uh, working with uh, educators like yourself, one thing that always comes up is relationships. The ability to be together in a space and, and grow with each other and experience a thing together is very different than looking at our 2D screens or you know the top of our heads or our profile picture. If we're in a room together, we're on an equal playing field and equal playing field where it's new to me, it's new to you, let's see what we can do in this space. That alone, the relationships are so, so powerful. You know, the next level is if if you're teaching a student about the solar system and they want to know about Mercury, you could call up Mercury in virtual reality and you can walk around it and look at it.
0: I would call that educational. I would call that (laughs) educational. And for
1: for a tutor that has on demand is so important um, these mm, on-demand mm-hmm, tools mm-hmm. through voice uh, searches through databases, uh, that's priceless.
0: Look 10 years into the future. What do you think things are going to look like um, for education? And what would you hope to see too?
1: I think education, because of the slow nature of education, educational change, 10 years from now, quickly, if you looked in a classroom quickly, it's going to look very similar. And, and I don't mean that in a negative way. It means that the technologies that we adopt they're going to amplify our good instructional practice. So instead of a computer cart with Chromebooks in it, I might have a cart of VR headsets that I have access to. And so therefore it's amplifying. And I I don't know in 10 years if people will be ready to do school 100% in VR, but I, I think that it's gonna be more widely adopted where people will be ready to use it for a field trip or an instructional experience that they'll then make sense of in that space if the social software is there or back in a classroom face-to-face. The other part of it is, I think we're gonna see VR in particular used in remote schools. So we'll see people who are not going into school buildings who are staying home for many different reasons and they're getting access to, techn- to an education that they couldn't get access to before. Uh, and that education is gonna look more like that Ready Player One environment where we're learning together in a virtual world. So preparing our students for their future, it turns out, is more important than preparing them for what made us successful in our past. And that's a mental shift.
0: Well, tremendous, thank you so much. That was amazing. There was certainly got got off on some sidebars there, but um, uh, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me.
1: Appreciate a good conversation.
0: I think about virtual reality, there's still a lot that needs to be ironed out and hashed out. What is the academic experience gonna look like uh, in working on an English paper? How are we going to sort of transition from, you know, one software to another? How do we go between worlds? You know, how do we go between classrooms? What's that gonna look like? I mean, it's, (laughs) everything will be different. What's it like going between classes? Are the teachers coming with you or they're not? Are they, you know, there's just, there's a thousand questions like that that have not been marked out. So there's a lot of sort of gaps and blank spaces, both, you know, in terms of software, hardware, infrastructure, everything. Again, whole new worlds, infinite space to create. And again, creation is going to be the skill that's going to be focused on in the future, not memorization. None of those sort of busy work type of exercises that traditional education has sort of focused on um, to make people factory laborers. There are no factory laborers in the future. It's all going to be done by machines. We need a culture of creators, people who can do something with that blank space. So to me, it's the perfect challenge for that generation, um, given that the skills needed 20 years from now are going to be entirely creative. thanks for listening to graduating anxiety a podcast that helps caregivers of anxious learners overcome obstacles to find academic success and build continuously happy lives if you liked this episode be sure to give us a five-star rating and review on apple podcasts i'm your host alex merrill see you soon